beloveds, welcome back to the Word is Resistance. My name is Reverend Margaret Ernst, and I'm a minister in Berks County, Pennsylvania, on land traditionally sewered by the Lenni Lenape people. This is the Word is Resistance, the podcast where we explore what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, times in which we're living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach white folks specifically about our role in resistance and showing up for collective liberation and for racial justice? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these troubled, violent times? And what beauty can we find in our resistance as we fight for justice? Reverend Ann Dunlap asked me to contribute to the Word is Resistance back in 2017, and I was hesitant at first. I didn't think I had anything to contribute, but I said yes. And then she asked more people. Since then, over six to seven years ago, 21 people have contributed episodes to the Word is Resistance. There have been meetups with listeners, live and virtually. We put our transcripts online. And through all of these looking at these texts and bringing these texts up as a lens on our lives, we have learned so much for our organizing, for our ministry, for our anti-racist work. And here, there is a collective body of theology and practical lessons in these podcasts that we hope will have an impact for a long time. I'm so honored to be with you today to host a conversation with my beloved colleagues and friends, Reverend Anne, Surge Faiths Coordinator, who founded the podcast, and Nicola Torbett, another longtime contributor. I will share more with you about what we're doing today and why, but first, let me tell you, as always, that this live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado, recorded in December 2014. And it's led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use a song for this podcast. We've done over 300 episodes of The Word is Resistance together since January 2017. Some of you have been with us along the way. Some of us, some of you may have found us only recently, and we are grateful for each one of you. And the time has come to complete this particular piece of work. We feel tender about saying goodbye to this incredible project has meant so much to us and also feels so celebratory for the world we have built here together for white Christians over the years who want to show up for racial justice and for liberation. And to, ce to celebrate the completion of the podcast, we're wrapping up with three episodes of group conversations with our current contributor crew. And then we'll have the final episode from Reverend And with, with a special request for you. Think of these final episodes as a kind of Advent calendar of parting gifts. I'm hosting today's conversation, which will be myself, Nicola, and Anne. And somehow in the scheduling, it worked out that we are three of the original contributors from way back in the day. Hey, everyone. This is Nicola Torbett. I use she, she and them pronouns. 
And uh, just to tell you a little about myself, I was critically formed in the movement town of Oakland, California by the Ohlone people who are indigenous to that place and who are still very active there through the Segorite Land Trust. And also by a whole bunch of BIPOC-led, poor people-led, queer and trans-led organizations that make Oakland that movement town that it is. Um, it also feels important to name First Congregational Church of Oakland and the Liturgical Direct Action Affinity Group Second Acts as places who have held me accountable and shaped my theology along with this podcast. And then, as life does, life changed. About four months ago, I moved from Oakland to Lenape Land near Bangor, Pennsylvania, where I'm helping to shape programming at Kirkridge Retreat and Study Center. It started to feel important to take all that had been poured into me and shaped me and utterly changed my life and bring it out from the Bay Area to a place nearer to where I grew up which was in Ohio. It feels a little like coming home, but coming home totally different. Coming home a different way, maybe. Though I am hardly a Magi and we're not in Epiphany yet. So with that, I will turn it over to Anne. Hi, everyone. Um, Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronounce she, her, hers. Um, faith Organizing Coordinator for Surge. Uh, through the end of this year, at which time I'll be leaving, actually, to uh, do some whole new work, which we'll be happy to share with you um, some other time. But um, uh, yeah, I'm coming to you from what's currently called Buffalo, New York, uh, which are the homelands of the Haudenosaunee peoples, which stretch vastly across um, what we know or call New York all the way into the Midwest. Um, and Haudenosaunee peoples continue to lay down prayers of thanksgiving for this land and for the ancestors of this land, uh, the peoples of this land. And I give gratitude for that. And I give gratitude for all of you. And I give gratitude to you both, Nicola and Margaret, for um, this conversation today uh, and all that you've brought to this podcast um, and the world in general. <laughs> over all of these years. Well, welcome to you both and welcome to all of you who are listening in today. You are part of our family this morning. We'll take a quick musical break and then jump into the conversation. people don't get weary. In order to look forward and to wrap up this project well, we want to start with looking back. So we'll start with Reverend Anne, and then we'll fold Nicola into the conversation. So, dear Anne, tell us about your hopes when you started The Word is Resistance. Yeah, I think I hope that people would listen. I mean, that's <laughs> like baseline 
will anybody actually listen to this um it was a seemed like a big experiment um even in that moment um the very first episode uh was uh went live the week that trump was inaugurated in january of 2017 um and uh i hope that it could be a word for what we what was clearly going to be some really scary time that we were entering into um and continuing through right is like that recognition that things have been bad for many people and scary for a long time um just perhaps more uncovered in that way. So I just hope people would listen. Um, prior to, to launching, I did a lot of research trying to see if something like this existed, a blog, a, a lectionary set of comments or like, you know, that, that would bring what I wanted to bring to this work and perhaps like the word that I needed to hear in that moment, which was, you know, biblical interpretation that actually had a power analysis about empire that was also committed to fighting anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism that was also feminist, also queer, also anti-racist, all of that at the same time, and also speaking to white Christians. And nothing like that existed. Like you could find pieces of those, like one interpretation, but not like bringing all of those together and really trying to allow the text to illuminate and speak to the moment that we're in um, in all those ways. And I wanted white Christians to have that kind of resource. I wanted that kind of resource for myself, that kind of word. And so I hoped that that people listening, um, white Christians, would realize that the Bible is actually such a helpful and sacred text of people fighting the same shit that we are, wrestling with the same questions we are, you know, having the same troubles, having the same, you know, uh, celebrations and joys and breakthroughs of hope and possibility that we are. And I hoped that um, people would be moved to action because of that in ways that were like perhaps even new, uh, deeply accountable, and that they would share that, not just like share the podcast on their social media or whatever, but like share that good news that like, oh, we have resource here in our tradition that can help us in this moment. So I think those are some of those, those early hopes. So you saw a need for something that didn't exist and created it and invited us all into that project. And here we are seven here years are. later. <clears throat> yeah. I'm just basically trying not to cry. So go ahead. <laughs> we'll ask you a hard question so that you don't Um. I, so why, you know, our listeners might know this if, you know, might kind of get it if um, you've been with us longer, but share from your reasoning, why was the podcast with all of these intersectional analyses so important to be directed to an audience of white Christians specifically? Why not just direct folks to other resources? Um, That's such a great question. I I really believe that because of the ways that white Western Christianity uh, provided and continue to provide for the like moral and theological backbones of the things that we're actually fighting, um, racism, capitalism, um, <clears throat> anti-trans and anti-queer stuff, like some of which are obvious, perhaps some of which less so, that it was so important to to 
be in conversation with white Christians to undo the those kinds of noddings of of theology within these systems that we're that we're actually all suffering from um to help us all find our mutual shared interest in um uncoupling ourselves from this death machinery um and offering a a new understanding of what it could mean to be christian that's not about dominating that's not about some kind of like us against them the good against the 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 savage the saved against the unsaved but all of us in this together um and we certainly did not know the answers to all of that in the beginning but i think collectively found our way to some really beautiful um new ways of understanding uh, what what it can mean to be christian as white people in this in this time mm -hmm. i know for me this has been a very particular like specific piece of work that needed to be done this theology um we've done through the word is resistance and it also lies within this larger corpus of folks of, of work that we hope people are accessing um that for instance when we put up when we initially put up the podcast we said you know we really also need to direct people to listen to podcasts by black folks by uh, by BIPOC folks, by indigenous folks, because you don't only need the word is, you don't just need the word is resistance. You also need black liberation theology. Yeah. You also need theology. You also need native theology and thought. Yeah. You need um, perspectives from all these places in order to get the whole. And we are just doing our particular part to speak to our people in the ways that we know we need to be spoken to. That's right. That's right. And we hope that we've done that justice. I hope so. So much has changed since January 2017. What has changed in the world and in the landscape that we're looking upon and since the podcast began? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like so much has changed and also like it's just the, the same machinery doing what it does, the same death machinery doing what it does, and it's just more visible to more people now what's happening. Um, but I also, I, I, you know, when you, you know, I read that prompt question, the first thing that actually came to mind was the pandemic. Um, you know, we're, we're, at this point, probably now four years into when we first started hearing about COVID, when it was first starting to trickle in the news, perhaps in, um, in, uh, in China and then into Europe and then eventually, you know, to here by January, February, March. Um, that feels like a long time. When I think about the span of the podcast in general, January 2017, that just feels like eons ago. I feel like sometimes that we've lived through so many layers of time that we are not used to living through um, um uh in in all that has been like been being you know as as adrian marie brown says you know unveiled and uncovered um in these years and but you know the pandemic in particular i think did that for a lot of people in ways that they may not have recognized or maybe still don't recognize in the ways that 
those with power and wealth just mostly just abandon us to death and to the risk of death. Um, the possibilities that were present, you know, in those first weeks of shutdown of actually providing for people and providing care for people and, you know, um, quickly went the way of, well, we can't do X, Y, Z because profit margins, we can't do X, Y, Z because the economy, we can't do blah, blah, blah. And, and now we're out of COVID money. So, you know, all of the places, you know, shutting down all the places where people could get free testing or, or vaccinated in multiple, multiple places, you know, like all of that just disappearing and just being abandoned to a disease that is unpredictable and if it does not kill you could potentially leave you with disability and i think we still have not reckoned with that abandonment and um and the grief of the 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 loss of millions of people um and the the grief of like a mass disabling event and what that that implies for us as a people. Um, so I think a lot about like the changing of the landscape, like that is a huge, to me, a huge piece that that often doesn't get talked about. We talk about Trump and we talk about, you know, the the insurrection and we and you know, now we're into wars and climate and all this stuff, but like the pandemic, I think really um is has to be part of that story of what's happened to us since since January of 2017. And through all that time, the podcast continued. Yeah. Yes, it did. So we encourage you, if you're listening, to look back on these episodes, like look back at these moments of importance historically, these movement moments and how our contributors responded and how we looked at these different scripture texts, the lectionary for each week. And then we have changed too. And Octavia Butler says, all that you touch, you change, and all that you um, change, wait, all you touch, you change, <laughs> and all that you change changes you. Is that right? I think that's right. Thank you. Um, and we have been touched and moved by this podcast. I'm curious for you, Anne, how has the podcast changed you in your organizing, in your ministry, or in your faith? Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm very clear I'm not the same person I was when we started working on this. Um, and, you know, some of that is attributable to other things, of course, but there is a lot I think that's attributed, uh, attributable to the discipline of working on this podcast, not only the episodes that I worked on myself, but each week, like, what is Nicola saying this week to this moment? What is Margaret saying this week to this moment? What is, you know, Alan or Seth or Will or, <clears throat> you know, uh, Brigitte? Like, what are what are our, what are my people saying in this moment? And learning from all of you, like, um, one of the like key things, and I think both of you early on had episodes about this, of this kind of like the the good Christian versus the bad Christians and how posturing ourselves as the good ones was actually not going to serve us in the movement. And that just blew my mind 
like, oh, oh, that's actually creating more division when what we actually need to be do, doing is like, you know, Margaret, your, your brilliant title for your episode of Fishing for Our People, you know, is creating that community. And we can't do that if we somehow think that we're better, like we're saved, like, and how that began to like work at the, you know, the underpinnings of my own theologies and reading these texts of like, if that's not it, then what is it? Um, and uh, so that that would be a key like theological and faith shift for me. Um, Cause that was definitely me of like, I've got it all figured out. And I think in the beginning of the podcast, those first several episodes was like, I've got it all figured out and I'm here to teach you all so that you will all get it all figured out too. And it shifted over time to actually like implicating myself in it and opening myself up more vulnerably. Um, I've, I've talked about this before, I think, that even if you look at the transcripts, those early ones are like bullet points and block paragraphs and, um, <clears throat> you know, lists of, of things, like they're very like linear and structured. And at some point, you know, even that year, I think it shifted into this much more poetic form on the page, shorter phrases, wandering around, sometimes just being like, I don't actually know, here's an idea, what do you think? And just, and leaving it with that. And so that like willingness to be vulnerable and not have all the answers, to actually wrestle with people in it and to be open about that um, is a shift for me. And I love Jesus more actually from working on a podcast. Um, like really seeing Jesus as a comrade in movement and trying to struggle through the kinds of stuff that we do in movement and in organizing and trying to build community and trying to survive um, desperate conditions and the way sometimes um, he seems to really struggle with that. Like, oh, you 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 are actually somebody I can understand because <laughs> this is also me that sometimes you know I have to get away sometimes I snap at people that I should not snap at um, because I'm traumatized like there's actual trauma happening in the text um, and seeing that um, you know in in him like made me love him um, a lot more. Um, yeah, those are, those are some things. Wow. So those are some pretty significant shifts, this sense of, um, kind of, I think I hear you talking about like a humility and trying to not draw this binary of good Christians and bad Christians and a deeper love for Jesus. So if anyone thought we were throwing Jesus out, then you just heard it from me. Yeah, you were quite mistaken. Love Jesus more. <laughs> Nicola, Queer liberationist that. feminist saying she loves Jesus more. Jesus. There you go. <laughs> I love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> um, he loves us. This we know. 
So Nicola, I'd love to invite you in. How has the podcast changed you? Yeah, it's really, I'm just sitting here sort of in awe of uh, thinking who I was in 2017 when we started this. And I remember, you know, working on that first episode and being so terrified (laughs) about putting something out into the world that was going to live beyond my saying it, you know, that was going to be recorded. Yes. And how scary that is, you know, and the fear of making a mistake. And, um, you know, that's, that's different now. Um, not that I don't still take it seriously and not that I'm not afraid sometimes, but I think that so much of what we've put out in the podcast is about how we're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss the mark. There's, we're immersed in this history that has completely shrouded our ability to perceive the world and um, we're going to get it wrong. And so I feel a sense of both liberation and like community and solidarity in that of like, oh, we, we're going to need to call each other in and support each other and try to help each other learn. And, you know, there've been, there've been times on these podcasts where we've disagreed with each other and, and it's so cool that we're able to do that and learn in that process. Um, And I feel like that has really changed how I organize because um, it's so easy to fall into that. I mean, you named it and as the, the good Christian, bad Christian dynamic, but it's also the good white person, bad white person dynamic. Right. And that binary, like it just doesn't even make sense to me anymore. You know, like that doesn't exist. The good, the good white person doesn't exist and nor, and nor does the bad white person. It's like a bunch of us trying to figure things out over here, you know? Um, So that's a big part. And then I remember too, some early conversations we had, I think it was, it was the three of us having the conversation around how do we not center whiteness in a podcast that is addressed to white Christians? (laughs) Remember that conversation? And I think where I landed do, on that, yeah. yeah, like I realized, oh, we can't not center whiteness because we're white. <laughs> and also I really loved what the two of you were saying about, um, you know, all we have is our little part to contribute to this larger movement. And it's really important that folks also be hearing other voices that are not coming from white people. Um, And at the same time, my understanding of what the work is for us as white people has just like expanded so much. Um, And my sense of the importance of working with and organizing white folks, um, that's been a real movement for me. Like I didn't really wanna do that. I don't think in 2017, I was still like, it's way more fun to hang out with the BIPOC movement organizations than it is to work with white folks. And um, yeah, I just, I'm seeing the importance of that work and really being nourished by organizing white folks at this point. Um, That feels like a shift that, that came about through our wrestling with questions like, how do we not center whiteness? Um, and Margaret, I think your, I don't remember which episode it was, but your 
um, asking us to think about where, where are you in this text? Who are you in this text? And spoiler alert, you're probably not Jesus, <laughs> you know, and you're probably not even one of his closest disciples. <laughs> you might be a Roman, in fact. Um, that was really, really helpful for me in sort of thinking about, well, what is, what is my place in what we're doing here in movements, um, in the world, you know, that sort of decentering that happened with that question. Um, yeah, so those are some things there, there are probably other things too. Right. So we, like in many caucus spaces, we, in this as we center whiteness for the sake of liberation, um, for the sake of a larger project, decent project of decentering whiteness in the in the world, right? Exactly. And I remember uh, Ruby Sales in a episode of On Being, an interview with Krista Tippett. She says um, that we need people doing white liberation theology, right? That speaks to people everywhere, in Appalachia. Um, in places that are hurting, uh, and in places that are being, being organized into fascism because, through a strategy of white supremacy. So that's one of the commissions we've tried to take on here. Well, to answer this question myself, I podcast has changed me a lot, and I, as I'm hearing you both reflect on it, I'm recognizing that I think I've made like specific life decisions based on the kind of impact of doing this podcast on me over time. Um, I first started contributing to the podcast when, like Anne mentioned, I mean, it was in the months after Trump was elected first. And those were times when I was living in Tennessee and I was organizing, I felt really called to organize white religious folks to show up more effectively in different Black-led movements in Nashville. I was in divinity school at the time, so I was also like in taking a lot of theology. And I, a lot of my insights from the episodes and came from that work of trying to organize white people. And then when I came back North, I first was an associate minister at a very self-consciously progressive white church with mostly like white liberals. Um, and then I really recognized that I felt led out of that particular culture into um, trying to bring what I could to a more like politically purple area and more conservative space uh, and also more working class community. So I really felt, I think, inspired and motivated by the word is resistance to practice what I preached in terms of not demonizing um, people in conservative areas. I will say that that doesn't mean I'm not, doesn't mean I'm stupid. Like I, my, my neighbors here in Brooks County, like have a collection of AR-15s. And I'm not stupid. Um, but what I have learned is that the way neoliberalism works is that it cause it tells us to be distracted by thinking that like the racists so to speak are over there when, when we're all actually functioning um in this racist system and then that kind of demonization 
stops us from doing effective movement building. And we need to find another way. So I made the choice to take up a call at a small church um, in Pennsylvania in a pretty in a more conservative part of the UCC. And it's been challenging in many ways, especially as a queer person, as a female. I'm the only basically the only female minister in that part of, in the county, part of the county. Um, it's isolating at times, but I've also been so hopeful because of it, because I see how all these folks um, who are not being organized by the left are deeply down for mutual aid, for hospitality, um, for immigrants and refugees, for queer folks and trans liberation. Like when the right conditions are created for people to be able to um, like reflect about their values and who they are and who they want to be and their faith. Like there's so many more people who are with us and against us. And that gives me so much hope. And I think that the word is resistance and our, our real conviction that we created it with this podcast over time helped me to have the fortitude and the courage to take up this call and then to try to spread that good news wherever I go. Amen. Amen to that. You just kind of blew my mind in that way that you do uh -huh. these episodes uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about neoliberalism and distraction, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. Yeah. Assuming that the racists are over there rather than in here inside me um, and us on the left. Um, wow. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There, there are actual white nationalists, you know, right. We right, cannot, right, right. We cannot undermine, like we can't um, conflate, right. Uh, and flatten things. Like we should be, we should be very scared of the far right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, we need to look at it in the context of the broader system of capitalism and how that um, far right is both creating the conditions for its base to build, white nationalism to build, and what, um, yeah, and it's doing a good job of organizing folks. So that's why we're here to do something different. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, what a gift it's been for me, like to as as like the the coordinator of the podcast to watch like you, Margaret, in the beginning, you literally telling me, I don't think I have anything to say. Why do you keep asking me? <laughs> and consistently trying to, if I may say, like get out of it over time and me bringing you back in, let's be real, like, yeah, and watching your growth from that moment, you know, back in, you know, early 2017 to like, where you're at now, like has been, and, and like so many folks over the podcast, I think, especially if they've been doing it for a while, just getting to watch people's transformation from when they first begin, and then like, no, actually, I have something to say. And I have something to speak into this moment and, and I have learned and, and I've got, you know, and like making those choices because of the transformation that you've lived through, like, oh, that's been like such a gift of being part of this project for me as the one who's, you know, on that kind of week in, week out, 
um, working with folks on it. So thank you. Thank you, Rev. <laughs> I just wanted to bring uh, one other voice into this conversation because I, you have me thinking about um, something that Turha Ak, who is a um, leader in the Black Power movement in Oakland, um, said in a teach-in one time, he said that white nationalists are the shock troops of the owning class. You know, Ooh, and they're basically being used. Oh right. You know? yes. So wow, yes, yeah. white nationalists and they're they're also being used. Yes. You right. know, these yes, white working right. class white nationalists are being used by that's the right. class. That's right. Boom. Yeah. And so we see that in our sacred text. We've talked about right. this over the years. We see that happening with these layers of you know, how do we survive under the Roman Empire and see those fracturings happen even in the text once we begin to know how to look for them um, and to understand that kind of power and what that does to communities and the choices they feel like they have to make to survive. Just to bring it back to our beloved Bible and our beloved comrade Jesus. So we've already been talking about what we're taking with us from the podcast. What do you both hope that white people will take with them when engaged in scripture? Well, I think this piece around um, knowing that we're going to get it wrong and make mistakes and just that the whole point of the gospel is grace you know, so long as we keep coming back to the work, keep coming back to the work. Um, I really hope people take that with them, um, that we be emboldened to, as Bioakomalafe says, fail generatively. Um, I think that's really important as one thing. I love that. And the, that idea of or, or that practice of grace and, and coming back to the work and coming back to the work. I mean, Margaret, that was your powerful episode for our Roman series about grace um, and that it, you know, that, that coming back, the opportunity always to come back to the work. Um, and so one thing um, I hope that people will take um, is you know, go back and listen to that series again, that wrestling with Roman series and realize that Paul is not our enemy. He is our ally. And that these texts that are continuing to be used for so much harm are actually meant for our liberation. Even if we didn't have all the answers in that series, because we didn't always, <laughs> it's a lot to unpack, but there, there is that work there. The, the signposts, the the clues, the hints, the illuminations that Paul is not our enemy in this work. And I literally heard somebody, a Methodist pastor, say that recently, um, you know, uh, about um, Christian Zionism, that it's all Paul's fault because Paul is a Roman citizen and he is very proud of his privilege. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not... That's not, you know, we have been sold a lie about Paul and what he's up to. Um, and so being able to recover um, 
recover Paul as an ally for us, a comrade for us, a leader for us in figuring out how we um, unhook ourselves from this machinery of death. Uh, Paul's got some good answers. Not always, but he definitely has some. Um, and we throw him out at our peril, I think. So um, take that. Let's take that with us too. And I hope folks take that with them too. Mm -hmm. I think building on that, what you say about Paul, and I think for me, what I hope people take with them when engaging in scripture is just the commitment to keep wrestling, keep going, and to trust that there is something there. There's something there for you. There is a good word there for you that can truly be life-giving and liberating and make a difference in your life. Because I, taking Paul as an example, I signed up for that, for to do a podcast for the Roman series, and I just struggled with the text that i received because it was a really hard text that had all this shit sorry pardon me all this all this no speak the truth speak the truth yeah. yeah he says a bunch of shit about slavery honestly like using this metaphor of slavery the enslaved righteousness and i was like i just can't get with this and it's true and ultimately i decided um kind of based on the framing of that of that series where we said you know we we're holding multiple things to be true that we can reclaim Paul from the way he's been de uh, utilized by by the right by empire and there's some times that we can't go with Paul all the way and that's why I was able to work with that text where I was able to look at okay here I am seeing this really helpful um perspective about grace and I will not go with you Paul like on this metaphor and so to reject the project parts of it um with a clear like ethical with a clear hermeneutic about why i'm rejecting it while also reclaiming what could be liberating was really helpful and so it's just this wrestling i mean i think about how the word israel which an uh, anti-zionist rabbi recently reminded me of uh, rabbi ari lev reminded us at an action that the word israel means to wrestle with god um, it's not necessarily just a place, definitely not a geopolitical entity. It means to wrestle with God. And we too now are wrestling with God and we wrestle with these with God through these texts, through these super challenging texts at times. We have to do it. We can't just take the kind of progressive Christian bait of not talking about or not taking seriously the texts that we don't want to look at because then we yield those texts to people who will use them against us and will use them against other people. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well said. So we are now recording this in the time of Advent. And something that our podcast crew reflected on as we were preparing for this wrap-up series of conversations is how the story of Advent King Herod finds out about the baby Jesus and is threatened by this one who it's prophesied, you know, will somehow undermine Herod's power and his throne. And so Mary and Joseph go home by another way. And we want to ask ourselves, how are we going home by another way. Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus home by another way in order to protect him from the violence of the empire. 
and the threat on his life. How are we going home by another way as a result of our work on the word is resistance? We are different after going through this journey together. How are we going home by another way? I'm just thinking about um, one of the things I had to come back to so much working on episodes of the word is resistance is that old saw that every you in the Bible is plural, you know, and that actually this text is addressed to communities, not to individuals. And, you know, it, I ran up against it. I think um, talking about that scripture about don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat, you know, and so many people over the years have said to me, well, how's that working out for poor people, you know? And what I realized is that the question is, are we practicing it? Those of us who are not in desperate straits right now. And if we really were, would there be poor people, you know? So it's addressed to a community. It's meant to be a communal project. And I think part of what white supremacy, one of the lies that white supremacy has sold us is the lie of individualism and that we're supposed to make it on our own. And like, there's so much vulnerability in letting go of the fantasy of making it on our own, you know, but that, I feel like that's one of the ways that I've been changed by this work. And I actually have felt it in your episodes as well, that there's a softening, there's a vulnerability, there's an acknowledgement that we can't do this by ourselves. And for me, that, that has totally changed my life. You know, I'm living now in intentional community and, um, that was not something I saw coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, very powerful. I love that language, Nicola, the fantasy that we can do things on our own. Yeah. What about you, Anne? Well, it's so funny, Nicola, that you 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 use the language of of softening, because when I think of this question, like going home by another way, um, you know, how have I been changed? And we talked about that a little earlier, but the word that keeps coming to me is softness. And softness as the as the counter to the harshness of the death machinery. And I love what you said, Margaret, about because I usually think of the Epiphany stories like the Magi are going home by another way, but also Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going whatever home is by another way by doing what it takes to keep their family safe, finding that protection which they would not have done alone, right? Somebody must have received them, made sure they had shelter, made sure they had food. Um, and then when they were able to, to come back, you know, to be able to do that. Um, I think of the Magi you know, going home by another way, meaning we are not going to look to Herod for wisdom anymore. Um, uh, that, is, that is not the way of safety. That's not the way of 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 goodness, um, to look to power, to, to, to define for us what mystery and love and whatever we think it means to be a king when, you know, we know who Jesus was in the grand scheme of things. 
you know, in terms of the oppression under the Roman Empire. Um, but that, you know, the the harshness, the cruelty of this machinery that we live in, and and the not the complete response, but my transformation across these years to much more softness, that place of vulnerability, shifting out of the, you know, I don't know, posturing of early 2017 and that kind of hard, fiery edge um, to wanting so much more softness for myself, for our people, for the land. I know that my herbal practice has contributed to this somewhat too, but like I also see the my herbal practice informing how I read scripture and like, you know, just wanting so much more softness for all of us in that practice of softness and vulnerability and gentleness and in that collective place um, is one of the ways we dismantle this this machinery that just wants to chew us up and spit us out, really. I'm thinking of a quote, and I think it's often, it's one of these quotes that's like, everyone said, apparently, <laughs> when I look it up, one of the, it's attributed to St. Francis de Sales, nothing is so strong as gentleness, and nothing so gentle as real strength. And that, what you're speaking to, Anne, gives me a different perspective on this image of Jesus as meek and mild. That meek, like in the biblical sense, is not meek as in passive, but like a choice to be uh, fiercely gentle because of one's awareness of the true brutality of evil. Um, but it's a gentleness that has a fierceness inside of it, a deep conviction inside of it to the end. Yeah, I love that. I love that. A fierce tenderness. Yeah, I love that too. And it's making me realize how deep in me, the rhetoric, even though I reject it politically of, you know, we're going to be tough on crime has gotten into me. It's like, I, I keep wanting to be like, but we're not going to be soft on racists, you know, or racism. We're going to be tough on that. And it's the whole framing is wrong. It's like, it's a punitive framing. It's a graceless framing. And it's very hard to articulate the alternative because it is strong. It is strong. It is fierce. It is uncompromising around allowing harm to human beings or any living thing. And at the same time, it's very gentle. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be real. Like, if people are getting in the way of people that I love, like, I'm still gonna punch a Nazi, you know. <laughs> but as an overall organizing strategy, <laughs> um, yeah, there's a softness required. I was struck, Anne, when you said that you know we're going home by another way by kind of imagining a new version of safety. And what came to me was this experience I had recently at a church where I pastor. We've been doing this community listening process of like one-on-one -on -one conversations in the community, uh, in the town, like about what pe breaks people's hearts about living there and what brings them joy. And we were kind of convening the themes from these these one-on-ones. 
and at a meeting and we were doing a visionary exercise where we asked people to say and describe what would it be like if this town in, in, in this town everyone's needs were cared for what it, would it would it be like if there was not so much isolation and you know not so much struggle and strain or, or, or hate and fear and one person said raised their hand and said it'd be like mayberry and everyone kind of like looked at them and like smiled awkwardly with some uncertainty and then like a black person who was sitting next to that person said yeah well mayberry but with black people in it um and with more diversity and so we started talking about that like what if i asked the person who said mayberry and i asked other people too like what tell me more about what that means to you what does that represent like if we were to imagine a Mayberry in 2023 that is inclusive. Um, and people said, well, it'd be like trust, you know, you you really know your neighbors, you can trust your neighbors, people look out for each other, people aren't isolated, elders are not alone, you know, young people are not alone. Um, and someone said they'll they said, well, in Mayberry, they always said that there was no lock on the jail. And I was just I, thinking about that. I was just yeah. thinking about that. And there's this one character who's like alcoholic. And when he knows that like he needs a safe place to sleep it off, he goes and lays down in the jail cell and then in the morning lets himself out again. Like how brilliant is that? Like here's a safe space for you until yeah. you're ready to, yeah. Yeah, and I got goosebumps in that moment when that person said it. Said so they said there's no lock in the jail. I said, "Oh my gosh," and, you know, and because and it helped me to really believe what I was saying earlier about like that we have such a wide, huge base of people in this country who are with us on abolition, right? Who are with us on defunding the police and um, dismantling mass incarceration, but I think who haven't been organized in a way that. Um, reaches them and that's our job to figure out like it's not black folks job to go figure out how to get white people in small towns to get my abolition <laughs> it's our job and it's possible right this vision of a world that doesn't need jails or incarceration or police with guns they also said that like they a lot of people said the police wouldn't have any guns i was like great like let's now let's go shut some things down so we can make that possible Margaret, <laughs> like our work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> we're just beginning, you know. So we're almost coming to the close of this conversation, which is so um, bittersweet. But there will be more conversations to come this Advent. Anne and Nicola, do you have tips for people who are reading scripture as the word is resistance? Now that this podcast will be no longer, we see it as you all as our listeners and in our own journey going forward to keep up this work this exegetical work this preaching work this reading work in, in bible study so what tips do you want people to have i think there's this piece um i mentioned it earlier around where are you in the text how are you positioned can we get honest about that and then from there what is the word to you and to other white folks. That would be the first thing I would lift up. Yeah, I um, I think we've named a lot of things actually that people can take with them and 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 use themselves. Um, 
And I, I want to name one of those, which has been really important for me, which is really recognizing the role of trauma in living under systems of oppression, um, what that does to people, how it can impact imagination, impact what we think our choices are, and then how we can see that living out in the text in ways that we think are are like some sort of like theological fights over Christianity versus Judaism, for example, that what we actually see are like the, you know, the, the fracturings around, you know, oppressive trauma um, in ways that, you know, similar ways that we can see that happening now that it's not that different. And so bringing a lot more compassion for people as they're trying to navigate that in the text um, and as a way of helping us also figuring out how to navigate that here and seeing the ways that many, um, uh, in, including Jesus, including Paul, are trying to like weave community back together, you know, in the face of that kind of fracturing, of building that bigger we, of building, you know, re rebuilding community, strengthening community collectivity, um, and giving us ideas for how to do that now. I think for me, I've learned a lot as I've also preached more and more to congregations over these past few years. When I started doing the podcast, I wasn't really preaching regularly. And now that I am, like my exegesis and podcasts and preaching have changed to be more pastoral. I think they used to be extremely academic. I think I used to feel like, okay, if I could get you to understand the text right, you know, and have the right analysis of it, what it means and the context and everything, then all will be well. But what I've learned is that like, we don't, you know, when someone's coming into church, like from, you know, their jobs or from like caring for elders or a sick child or parent or husband like people are really not looking for a deep academic analysis they are looking for a word of encouragement and they should get that um and that's i think a, a challenge to figure out how do we do that how do we encourage people and also challenge people and help people to come along in this new consciousness um so i think my my advice is if you're pre especially if you're preaching or sharing even not preaching to like sharing with others you know, about these texts to look for the very human feelings and experiences inside of them, like grief, fear, shame, loneliness, isolation, love, and to connect those with the experiences of who you're speaking to, even if the people that you're speaking to might not be located where the folks in the text are located, we can find a shared location in our experiences of those feelings. So people in my congregation, for instance, might not know what it's like to be an immigrant detention, but some of them do know what it's like to have kids or family members in jail because of drugs um, or like because of addiction. People in my family, or rather, sorry, in my congregation might not know what it's like to have fear for their family, um, like being killed by the police, but they might know what it's like 
to, you know, not have control over how someone perceives you. And so I think I've tried to always link those together to build the bigger we, to say that God, the divine, you know, in makes makes it possible for all of us to transform these experiences and systems to a more soft world, to a more radically loving world that we all want to be a part of. I love that. There's also this piece around, and I think this has been, you know, the podcast and also my work with ancestors recently. I think there's a way that we can read the text while questioning how the lies of white supremacy and capitalism have shaped our ability to understand it. So for example, linear time, you know, like linear time seems so obvious to me, but really we didn't have synchronized linear time until industrialization and people had to show up at work at a certain time. And I feel like scripture is much more about cyclical time. And every, like, it's like every time bread is mentioned in the text, it's manna. <laughs> and we're back there in the wilderness, you know? And also it's Passover, you know? And every time a lamb is mentioned, it's Passover. And so to me, there's something really powerful about breaking our assumptions around linear time. It makes so much more possible um, it, it subverts that neoliberal fantasy of an uninterrupted march toward progress and improvement, which we all know is a lie. Um, yeah. So there's something about time that I, I would encourage people to question. Well, question away folks. And we hope that as you look at these texts, you will, continue to wrestle and question. You will continue to connect with the feelings and human experiences inside of these texts, that you'll continue to meet the person of Jesus that Reverend Ann mentioned, who was, you know, a man wrestling with move, building movement under empire and the fears of that, the challenges of it, the contradictions of it, and, and the conflicts of it as well. And we have we hope that you will come home by another way with us that even though this project will be ending soon that you will take up the work in your communities whether you're leading a bible study whether you're a pastor whether you're a lay person leading a church whether you're a person who's not affiliated with a particular congregation or faith community and is just finding your way in the world you can live this good news in everything you do your call to action is to continue to read scriptures as the word is resistance. You can do this in whatever space you find yourself, whether you're telling our sacred story, you can bring these lenses to offer a resistance words for what we are facing. 
Also, we want you to know that the podcast will continue to be available wherever you listen. It's not going anywhere. The database for finding episodes and transcripts will also be available. So for now, um, you can go to the home of the Word is Resistance on SoundCloud, and you'll find the link there. We also want to commend you to some of our favorite resources uh, for liberatory work for Christians, including Enfleshed, our Bible app, Justice Unbound, and G's Magazine. These are some places they're we're also doing a commentaries and analyses of scripture. Justice Unbound at present has an awesome uh, Advent devotional series with a daily devotional written uh, by womanists, thinkers, and scholars and ministers. So I want you to check out those resources. And finally, we have a request for you. We would love to hear from you what this podcast has meant to you. So if you would like to record a one to two minute reflection on what the word is resistance has meant to you, you can send the recording along with a transcript to Reverend Ann at her email address. So that's faith, F-A-I-T-H, at surgeaction.org, S-U-R-J, action.org. And we'll feature you in the final episode. We would love to hear from you. So please get those to us between now and December 15th. You have some time. Beloved, thank you as always for joining us from wherever you are on this good earth. We'll be back next week with another Advent parting gift. This will be a group conversation with M. Jade Kayser and Sharon Fenema, hosted by Anne Dunlap. Of course, a huge thanks to our sound editor this week, Claire Hitchens. So we leave you with some words of encouragement and, and blessing. Wherever you find yourself in this moment and in this week, we hope that you will have the spirit of resistance with you and that we, with that spirit, it will be a longing for a better world and a belief that you can organize and, and bring your people into that world, whoever those people are, even the ones that you have discounted. And we ask you to remember that you too are able to experience a deep freedom beyond your own understanding. We are building up a new world. Builders must be soft and strong. Amen. And thank you for being with us. Amen. Love you both so much. <laughs>